Welcome to In Transition, a program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. Here's your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's edition of In Transition, the podcast that explores the practice of content marketing in government. My name's David Pembroke, and I'm delighted that you've taken some time to join me once again. This week, we peer into the future of media. But before we do that, as we do each week, we start with a definition of exactly what we are talking about on this podcast. Content marketing is a strategic business process that involves the creation, curation, and distribution of useful, relevant, and consistent content in order to meet the needs of a specific audience in order to achieve a desired citizen or stakeholder action. And as I said, we peer into the future of media with one of Australia's leading media writers, Nick Christensen, who is the deputy editor of Mumbrella, the leading Australian news and media site for both advertising and media. Nick previously worked for The Australian, The Daily Telegraph and also Radio 2GB. But of most interest to me was Nick's reporting from the New Front presentations in New York City a couple of months ago, where the biggest digital media companies in the world presented their offerings to the media buyers and advertisers. Companies including BuzzFeed, Huffington Post, The New York Times, The Daily Mail, Yahoo, Vice, Bloomberg, amongst many others. There were 33 presentations over two weeks and Nick got a really good look into the future. He joins me now. Nick, thanks for being in transition. Good to be with you. Nick, what were the big takeaways from you this year as you went to the New Front presentations and you really did get to see what the big media companies are, are offering brands and other storytellers? Yeah, look, I think the Digital New Fronts in New York are really an interesting event because you do get such a plethora of organisations. You've got the traditional players like the New York Times or the TV networks, you know, Time Warner, etc. But you've also got newer players like Maker, who were only bought by Disney a few years ago. You've got Vivo. Um, and, and you've got, you know, just a, a real raft of different players, you know, BuzzFeed, who in the last 10 years have kind of come out of nowhere and now, you know, are the internet in, in a lot of ways. So you get a whole different range of people coming in. And then from there, you're kind of looking at, well, what are the key themes? You know, mobile, we know, is a key theme when it comes to content. And in terms of delivery platform, everyone's got one these days. And, you know, you're seeing people engage with it. But what's interesting is that you saw everybody, whether it was, you know, your TV companies, your YouTubes of the world, your Vivos of the world, down to the likes of the New York Times and BuzzFeed, who are going, the future is video. The future is really engaging content that we can drive across all platforms, including and especially mobile, and then looking at really how can they take that to the next level and really drive engagement and drive advertising opportunities to, you know, get other messages around really good content. But in terms of creating that compelling video experience on on the mobile device, what were some of the executions that were capturing the imaginations? Yeah, look, I, I think the likes of BuzzFeed, who, you know, more than perhaps many other media companies in the world, really understand that it, it is, you know, to use a keyword here, and I always hate keywords, um, it's really snackable content. You know, it's about creating the two-minute video. And you saw that they were doing really good things in terms of, you know, 
things that are shareable, things that people will like, and that you know whether it's you know the top five things you knew if you grew up in the nineties or whatever else. And they're doing it as video form, so it's not that you have to sit there and you know you can be on the train, on the bus, and you can listen to it. They're doing really clever things that are much smarter. Um, likewise, you see it with YouTube and stuff, who you know are trying to redefine themselves as a video platform, also not as a video platform, but as a premium video platform. They're doing really clever things in terms of just trying to get a variety of different um, you know brands and, and engagement and trying to lift their, themselves out of, you know, dare I say it, cat videos and, you know, those sort of things and into being a premium platform. You know, a, 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 the YouTube presentation this year was at Madison Square Garden. It was one of the biggest presentations. They spent a bucket load of money trying to get the buyers in and basically saying to them, you know what, our audience these days when you look at mobile is actually larger than the traditional TV networks. And some of the buyers actually said to me, you know, a couple of years ago we kind of dismissed it and we said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You throw that on the end of a plan. But these days YouTube is the plan. YouTube is the thing that people are centering themselves on more and more, certainly in the US. And I think you'll see that increasingly here because in the end YouTube is is everything. You know, you can get it on any platform and increasingly you're there. Now, what sort of engagement are you seeing there is you're going to see more and more people gearing themselves towards delivery on YouTube and TV and other things, you know, they're still important platforms, but I think you'll see them being less important and and possibly in the long term more ancillary. Did you get a sense while you were there that almost the, the earth was moving beneath your feet? That was a sort of sense I got from reading some of your reporting that this change is so big and so profound and so quick that it's moving a lot faster than anyone ever thought in terms of this distribution of content. I think that's right. I think you see increasingly when you look at the likes of the New York Times, BuzzFeed, Yahoo, AOL, Hulu, YouTube, Vivo, etc. These are all um, global plays. So they're not about um, local, you know, market by market strategies. They're about how do we capture, you know, six or seven billion people around the world and how do we build audiences and advertising opportunities um, for our messages across those platforms. It's very different approach to something particularly, you know, in a market of 23 million people that we look at and, and are familiar with. Um, and that and that becomes challenging because, you know, it, you sit there and go, I sat through a one-hour presentation of the New York Times and they didn't mention the word print once. You go up and talk to the CEO afterwards and he's like, well, hang on, I print one or two million newspapers in America, whatever, but I have 90 million people who want good premium video content. On, on, my, on my website from around the world, so I'm catering to them. It's a really interesting viewpoint and a very different perspective to what we're used to. The likes of Hulu as well, who, who were there trumpeting, you know, something like Seinfeld, which, you know, is 10-year-old content, but it's never been put on the internet before in an accessible and easy format. And the thing is, that's a global brand that will appeal to a global audience. And that they've been doing really well out of that. And as Hulu lines up potentially to, you know, follow the likes of Netflix into a global media play, that could be really interesting and a bit of a game changer in that space. So as you returned home, having seen, you know, the big global opportunities, the, the big changes that were there, what, what did you take from that that you could apply to the domestic market here and into Australia and to, a, and to say, perhaps more niche players like governments who are not often looking to communicate globally, but really looking to communicate specifically to very narrow and niche audiences? Yeah, look, I, I think while, you know, they might not be trying to compete with the likes of BuzzFeed or, you know, AOL or YouTube, um, there are opportunities there. Now, um, for, for messages, you know, they, they should look at things like native advertising. Increasingly, you know, these are channels to get, um, you know, 
particular demographics and if you're catering to say a young audience i can certainly see potential in that native message where you're not there you know i think government delivers you know very safe very simple messages that are you know or maybe overly complex messages that don't necessarily appeal to the right audiences um i think they need to take a leaf out of buzzfeed's book and, and are looking to you know mobile content content that people actually want to share and that actually speaks to that audience and isn't in the government format but is in the message of the people who actually want to receive those messages you know very simple rules like that you know the, the importance of video is going to become key and, and in much the same way video uh, sorry media companies are, are catering themselves to video i think when government is looking to um you know expand their ability to you know use their own properties to sell their message or to get their message out they're going to have to build much stronger video components to be accessible to the media and also to get the message out themselves and all the places like the acma who we deal with at mumbrella quite a lot they've really ramped up their video content in the last few years and i think they have to because without that strong video content you are going to be left behind so in your mind there is no question that video is fundamental to any communication or content marketing program now? If it's not right now, it will be in the next year or two. I think you're increasingly being left behind and you're seeing the really good operators are already in that space and are already innovating and doing some really creative things. That said, it is hard and I would recognise that it comes with cost. You know, it's not cheap to do um, and it's really challenging to kind of, you know, get there and actually get to the capacity where you can actually create good premium video content or, you know, that is rich and is valuable. You know, it, it's not as simple as just buying a cheap, you know, $200 camera. You actually do need some skill sets and you do need editing and other things to actually do it well. That said, there are opportunities. I know with Umbrella we use, you know, video hangouts with Google um, and they're a really simple but effective format of getting a conversation going and, and having some premium video. And in terms of that that premium content that you're talking about, you do you believe that really the the consumer, the citizen uh, is now looking for something more than just the handheld device video put together, that they are looking for the production values that we associate with traditional television production? I think they're increasingly that is the case. You know, you have a, we live in a world where Netflix kind of defines people's expectations. You know, House of Cards was a $250 million production. And so on one side you have that and then you also have, you know, everyone trying to make it work themselves. Now, I'm not suggesting that anyone needs or should have those sort of budgets. What I'm saying is that we live in a world where, you know, good content professionally done well is important. And so this is where we have to kind of recognise that people look at it and, and say, you know, what can we do? If you go look at BuzzFeed Australia and some of the video stuff they're doing, they're not spending millions of dollars. They've probably spent, you know, a couple of thousand dollars on on, on basic video um, equipment and then are just editing it well and putting things together. But they're creating really good... Um, premium content at a, at a simple budget and then making it, you know, shareable, they're making it um, mobile first. They're doing the basics that we all talk about but don't actually necessarily do ourselves. So how difficult do you see it is, given even your own experience there at Mumbrella, to stand up even a sort of basic high-quality video capability? Well, uh, first thing I'd, I'd say, David, is I'm, not, I'm no video journalist myself. I'm more of a print guy, and I started my career in newspapers and radio. So I, you know, I always look at the video thing and go, oh, really? But increasingly, <laughs> it is important. And I think you know, we have to be willing to do it. You know, I, I myself throw my hand, hand in the ring, so does my friends, Alex, Miranda, etc., who all jump in and, and, and we do our own videos. Because I think you do need to be familiar with them. I think you do need to be comfortable with them. I, I get particularly for your audience, which is more a governmental audience, the idea of getting in front of a camera and, you know, having to talk about issues or having to get out there can be a bit, you know, 
daunting, but at the same time, I think increasingly it's becoming important and you need to be in the space. And what about the distribution of that video uh, once you've created that video? And again, taking on some of the learnings that you, you saw there at the new, new fronts, wh- what do you recommend in terms of being able to get that video out and moving and using third-party channels and using social media to, to get it moving um, out in the ecosystem? So we're assuming the content's been made and it's pegged right for the audience and that there's been you yeah. know, a bit of planning and things put into it. I mean, the obvious things, are, you know, using your your, your own channel. So, you know, if, you, if you've got relationships with the media who might want to run the content, obviously that's there. And then you use your own channel. Now, whether that's, you know, YouTube, social media, et cetera, bear in mind there are risks in all of these things in terms of negative criticism, et cetera. Um, but at the same time, if you if you if you manage that well, and if you're willing to engage in any conversation, you know, you put content out there. It is going to get critiqued. It is going to get criticised. Not everyone's going to like it. You know, most YouTube videos have a like and dislike button, um, and as do you know most of these other Facebook, whatever else. But at the same time, I think if you're creating good content that's pegged right for the audience, and the overall message should be positive, and you know you, you can use these channels hopefully more effectively than traditional marketing. So if there was a, a single takeaway um, that you got from New Fronts, what, what was it? I'm not sure there is a single takeaway, to be honest with you. I think it's more around what will fascinate me in the next few years is I think you're going to see the likes of technology companies, whether it's YouTube, Google, AOL, etc., cetera, um, Yahoo, coming together with, with more content makers. So the New York Times, the um, Disney's, the News Corps, the Vices of the World. And I think it's going to be really interesting to watch how content makers and tr- technology comes together um, and kind of re- re- reshapes our media marketing landscape. And what about the technology players in this space? You know, the, the larger, you know, the oracles, the Salesforce, those big technology companies, did they have a presence there at this stage? I think or- it's more the media companies. But I think what you're finding is the media companies with technology, so AOL, et cetera, do, are, are in that space. And you do see telcos and that eyeing things. I think what you'll see in much the same way we've seen in Australia with, say, um, Netflix and the streaming wars is that great content can often be the driver for that broader telco technology proposition, that good content will drive the broader sales message and and the broader engagement because people go, oh, I want Netflix, so I'll sign up to X telco and that sort of thing. So you can actually find that by having good content there, you actually start a conversation or actually drive things further. And what's your view on the sort of heritage media, you know, the traditional radio channels, the print channels and the free-to-air television channels? Where, yeah. do, you, Look, where I, do they sit now? It was interesting because I, when I was in New York, they had the World Congress of Newspapers at the end. So I, t- I stayed a few days and, and watched that. And while, you know, I described the, the new fronts as the global players looking at all the global tech pl- and, and online players looking at how they were about to sweep the world, you had all the newspapers coming together going, we're still going to be here in five years, right? And they're all looking around at each other kind of, <laughs> it'll be all right, it'll be all right, we'll all just hold each other's hands. And you know what? I, I, I worry that it's not going to be all right. They're pulling every lever under the sun at the moment, whether it be native, whether it be mobile, whether it be uh, premium video, hoping that the revenue will come up faster than the um, revenue declines will will hit them. And the simple answer is it's not going to be that clean. Yes, revenue will come up. Yes, there'll still be a future for print in some form for for certain publications and whatever. But 
overall, we're, we're, we're in the middle of a media revolution. Revolutions, if you know your history, are always marked by heads on pikes. <laughs> and um, there will be some winners and there will be quite a few losers. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't expect to see the likes of Google, AOL, etc. In, in the losers. But you do look at some of these small, smaller players and you go, are they going to be able to sustain themselves in a world that's changing much faster than many of these media companies can change? And so there was no sense at that International News Media Association World Congress that innovation is the lifeblood and is innovation is going to sustain them and that they need to change themselves before the technology changes them? I think innovation is definitely on the agenda. It's just which innovation is going to... To, to replicate, you know, hundreds of, or billions of dollars of print revenues that are going to disappear f- faster than the technology will come up, or that, you know, um, you know, when you're replacing every dollar for ten cents um, in digital revenues, can you sustain a newsroom as big as the one you had? Probably not. Um, it, it's the challenge of, you know, the, these things have, have been built up over centuries, and um, will be torn down in years. Now, you mentioned before native advertising as perhaps a way that government could get their message or get their story into the, the native environment mm. of, you know, traditional media players. Can you just explain to us what is native advertising and why it's so popular? Look, I think in a world where, you know, um, no one clicks on banner advertising anymore, um, native advertising is, is, is increasingly a buzzword for um, getting your message out in a way that consumers will actually engage with. So you'll see the likes of um, BuzzFeed, for example, creating a list of the top 10, you know, things to share on your mobile or whatever, and then you'll find it sponsored by Optus, right? So the message isn't around Optus, but they're creating a, a platform for people to talk about their brand or engage with mobile as a, as a um, platform. Um, this can be done really, really well or really, really badly. We rarely see um, anything in between. Um, the classic native example was when um, um, Netflix created um, Orange is the New Black. They paid the New York Times to do a investigative journalism series on women in um, pr- the prison system and it was interactive and it was beautiful and it, it, it's become the case study and if you haven't seen I encourage you to go to the New York Times and just type women in prisons and, and you'll see this case study come up and so they had all this great premium content that just implicitly sold the message of oh and by the way Netflix has brought back women as the new black and everyone shared it and everyone was like oh this is really interesting and it helped them engage their message and get it out there. Now um it's still a controversial area for obvious reasons. While advertorial is nothing new, um, a lot of branded content, native advertising, whatever you want to call it, doesn't always declare its commercial interests. And it sits there implicitly, natively, alongside editorial content. So you do have this church and state divide being blurred. It's a trap and a challenge for um, publishers in particular around the ethics of this. Now, there are lots, and you know, I'm sure your listeners will, will, will know lots of places they can go who will help them with native advertising. You know, that's fine, but it is still a tricky area. And like I said, I haven't seen too many government organisations doing it well. I'd be very intrigued to see if any of your listeners were doing it or, or, or might be able to do it well, because I'd be very interested to see those case studies. Yeah, well, I, th- I think there is, there certainly is an opportunity, but there is also is that challenge, and particularly in government, to speak from the audience perspective as opposed from speak with what I want to tell you. You know, there's a difference between the two and I think it's that transition to trying to understand that it's an audience-first, citizen-first approach to your communication where you're going to get the success as opposed to where the government, we've got something to tell you and here it is. 
I think I, I think government will get ignored increasingly if indeed that's the way that they continue to communicate. That's exactly correct. And, and you know, you see it particularly with agencies that are catering to youth audiences that they are actually trying to put themselves in the, in the, in the shoes of their audience and actually engage them from that perspective as opposed to I'm the authority figure. I'm now going to give you an important government message, which, you know, really doesn't work. So... What's your future or what would your advice be to government communicators around the world in terms of, you know, communicating in, in the world that you've seen? You've had a peer into the future at the New Fronts. You've sort of had a peer backwards at the International News Media Conference. If you were to give government communicators some really clear and specific advice about what they can do to be more effective, what might that be? Well, I, this is, I, I'm really using a political phrase here that's been a bit of cliche at the moment, but um, it feels like the only appropriate advice to give them, which is to have a go. Um, and I know that's a Joe Hockey phrase, but, you know, they need to be engaging in these spaces. They need to be looking at how are we delivering in mobile? Are we creating content that's snackable or are we putting up a 5,000-word, you know, white paper that no one's going to read? Are we looking at video and going, you know, are there opportunities for us to create some content that our stakeholders will actually value and that will actually be useful? You know, government brings together a lot of really important people. Can they create good content around that that helps drive a debate and is seen as, you know, a value add from from their side. There's a lot of opportunities, but it does require, you know, in much the same way that a lot of the, the, the BuzzFeeds and that of the world are, are, are thinking outside the box, it actually requires them to also think out the box. And I know I've used way too many cliches there, so I'm going to stop now. <laughs> and just a final thing before I, I let you go, just in terms of measurement and evaluation, it is one of the great steps forward in terms of communications that you can you can measure distribution, you can measure impact, you can measure engagement, you can measure a whole lot more things. Just how important is it when you do create and distribute content that you do measure it? Well, I think I think the, the, the main thing here is, you know, if you take the time and spending the money to actually do these things, you should only do the things that work. And, you know, you're going to do things, and we, we see it ourselves here at Mumbrella that, you know, we'll do things and go, that didn't really work. Okay, why didn't it work? You work through the process and you decide, are, you, are we going to do it again? Because, you know, only 12 people watched that video or read that thing, so what didn't work? What was interesting out of the new fronts is that the likes of, you know, BuzzFeed, et cetera, spend a lot of time planning what they'll do and then they spend even more time looking at did it work or what could we have done better and, and taking those lessons and, and moving it forward. The nature of this environment is, to, to your point, that you know you can measure things down to the minute level of how much time was spent, who engaged, where did they come from, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I think you need to do that. And then I think you need to take the lessons and not just, you know, it, it's that old rule of, you know, um, 50% of my advertising doesn't work, but I can never work out which 50% it is. In, in, in the digital world, that's not the case. You can nail down precisely what it is you, you works and what doesn't. And, you know, you shouldn't be doing the stuff that doesn't work. And sorry, I will just throw one more question in, and that's around technology and the use of technology and, and trying to stay on top of the latest technology. What advice do you have to, to government communicators around that very difficult challenge? Look, you know, I've written about the space for about five or six years and I struggle to keep up. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of information out there. There are things changing on a daily basis and, you know, it's not easy to keep up to these things. The main thing is, you know, read widely and look at, you know, Australian websites. Hello, I'm going to put Mumbrella in there among, among other sites. But, you know... Um, read the likes of everything from, you know, um, Vice to the New York Times to Time magazine to, you know, 
academic journals. I mean, it's funny, I've actually just today found something on um, the Columbian Journalism Review, which is actually about the cult of vice media, which is one of the presentations I saw in, in, the, in, in New York, and it's a 4,000-word piece, and I'm actually going to take the time to read because, you know, an, an idea might come or, you know, these sort of things. You need to be exposing yourself to a wide variety of things so that you kind of get a sense of where the wave is going and what's coming next. I get a real sense of excitement, though, out of your voice that you are right in the middle of this and you are really enjoying it. I think we at Mumbrella, and I'll speak collectively for our team, you know, um, enjoy writing this wave. It's always something new to write about. There's always something interesting, you know. Yes, it's a media revolution. Yes, there are winners and losers. And sometimes it's really bad for the guys who are, you know, not I won't say on the way out, but are having to reconfigure for the digital world. At the same time, there's some really interesting things coming up and, you know, it will change how we consume media, not just for tomorrow or the next year, but, you know, for, for decades going forward. So the whole landscape's changing. And, you know, as I always like to say, it's never boring in this job. <laughs> OK, Nick Christensen, Deputy Editor of Mumbrella. Where might people get to engage with you, get to know you a little bit better and certainly get to uh, discover some of that great reporting that you did from the New Fronts and from that International News Media Association World Congress earlier this year? Well, feel free to check out the Mumbrella website, mumbrella.com.au. Nick Christensen, thanks very much for joining us. And ladies and gentlemen, great insights from Nick Christensen, who really has been to the edge of the world and looked into the future for us all and painted a very clear picture about what the opportunity is. But I really want you to take home that clear message that Nick gave us. And he gave it to all of us. And it was, have a go. There is no time like the present to jump in both feet and get started, but you need to do it strategically. You need to do it with a plan and you need to understand why it is you're going to make those choices around what video, audio, stills, text or graphics you're going to distribute through what channel and how are you going to measure it. But certainly great insights there from Nick Christensen. I thank him once again. And to all of you, look forward to you joining us again next week as we discuss content marketing in government. And in the meantime, please jump on to www.contentgroup.com.au, sign up to the newsletter, and we look forward to speaking to you again shortly. Thanks very much. You've been listening to In Transition, the program dedicated to the practice of content marketing in government. For more, visit us at intransitionpodcast.com.au.